Hello, Annie Trenders. Welcome to the Girl Taku, hosted by the ladies of Anime Trending. We are back with another fun topic on the table. My name is Gracie, and I'm joined by... Hello, I am Isabel, and... This is Agnes. So, without further ado, the Girl Taku today will be about abandoning ship, or more specifically, particular ships slash couples that we really, really liked that we no longer liked as the story continued, and thus we came up with the title of Abandoning Ship. Also, as a side note, I don't know who was the one who originated the term shipping and like the metaphor of being on a ship and wanting it to sail or it sinks or stuff like that. But whoever started it is brilliant because it is such a good metaphor. And I can't imagine life without knowing that metaphor once existing. So just a little side I want to say Tumblr originated that term. Well, whoever on Tumblr originated that, kudos to you. You have literally changed culture and life as we know it. And that's not even an exaggeration because it's hard to know anyone in our age and younger who doesn't know the term shipping and like, you know, what ship do you uh, do you like? So, anywho, I digress. With that being said, today, once again, we are talking about ships we have abandoned. So, Isabel, you are starting us off today. Which ships did you originally, like, you know, sail on or were or boarding? And why did you end up abandoning them? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, Usually the ship that I get on, they it will sail to the end. So I had a hard time with this one, but because I hate jumping off ship. That's ah. Um, <laughs> Isabel <yeah>. is wise. <laughs> um, but yeah, the one that one anime that I ended up kind of not being on the ship anymore is your lie in april um i actually i actually just ended up not liking the ships in general i i like them at the beginning because i really like the show and i still think the show is great in terms of you know his music and everything that was focused on uh, but in terms of the romantic relationship i wasn't too interested anymore especially the one between uh kaori and Kosei. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I enjoy that at first uh, because uh, Kaori is kind of like really fresh and she's super, super energetic. And obviously Kosei was also kind of in, interested in her because he was inspired by her kind of her differentness and her unique way of playing the violin and the way that she just demands things to be done kind of her way. Um, in a way, you could see it as selfish but she's just coming off as something that she wants to do that she wasn't able to do before and you know because of her condition also she just wanted to do it anyway so i think in in terms of that you know that was very inspiring but i don't know as as for a relationship between the two i didn't think it would work out you know even if kaori magically didn't you know was recovered or anything like that spoiler Um, alert yeah (laughs) So I feel that everything just kind of turns towards her direction or she would be, you know, the one leading the relationship, deciding things in the relationship. And Kosei throughout the series, you know, he's kind of working on himself, healing and also trying to pretty much, you know, play piano again. But um, he's so invested in his own world that he he needs people to push him. But after that, you know, after he recovers or things like that, I don't know what it would be like. I just didn't I didn't really see it panning out. Um, and also just his childhood friend, uh, Tsubaki, which was the other ship. Um, I, I didn't really ship them together either because 
it didn't just seem like Jose wasn't very interested in her. They they were definitely very, very close friends. Um, but in this case, it was kind of a one-sided uh, relationship or um, for Tsubaki. And I think even in the show, at one point, Tsubaki just ended up dating someone else uh, that she wasn't really interested in just, just because she wanted that relationship or maybe possibly gain courage to talk to Kosei, but she never really did. And yeah, overall, you know, at first I was really interested in having these relationships or seeing how this maybe love triangle would have panned out. But I think by the middle of the series, I was just kind of watching it to see where it would go um, and just see what would happen to Kaoru really. Um, otherwise, I wasn't really interested in um, the couples by the end of the show. So quick question. Was there like a moment that you realized you didn't really ship them anymore since you started off really liking the quote unquote made couple? Or was it sort of like a slow creep that was happening upon you? I think it was definitely a slow creep. There wasn't one exact moment where I thought, oh, this is this is no good or I shouldn't be supporting this or you know, I don't know how I feel about this relationship anymore. It was just kind of, in, I guess, um, multiple instances, especially where uh, Kori just kind of does whatever she wants to do, and um, she just drags Kosei along with her. It's to me, I feel like it's somehow she magically kind of cures him uh, from his um, PTSD or depression, really, and it happens a little too quickly. Um, for me at least, that's what I think. I think it would have taken a lot more time uh, for that, but it might just be the way the characters are written, the stories are written. So for me, it was just kind of like a slow thing that I slowly started realizing and I wasn't really looking forward to their interactions as much anymore. Okay. Yeah, Kaori plays that role of the manic pixie girl. I was just about to that, say that, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that pulls uh, Kosei out of his PTSD-induced depression which I think for us as a Western audience, it's much easier to recognize that and be kind of like, oh, you know, the main girl doesn't quite seem like she has, she serves a particular role and purpose, but she doesn't necessarily, she isn't necessarily her own person or has her own arc, you know, she's only there to serve as a plot device versus in Japanese audiences, it's a very well-liked trope. Um and I still, to this day, don't understand why they're so into that. But I think it's because, like, you know, they like to have a character that sparks some sort of revivalism in whichever character and spur the story forward instead of having the characters go through their own development. I think that, so first thing is, I would say that Manic Pixie Dream Girl is still kind of liked in the West. It's only, I would say the criticism towards it is a fairly recent thing, at least for me. When I was growing okay. up, I still felt like Manic Pixie Dream Girls were very much people's favorite characters. They wanted to see it in stories. And admittedly, I engaged in that as well. You know, I really liked Kaori uh, and probably characters similar to her growing up. And uh, and it wasn't until later that I started to be like, huh, uh, they don't serve any other function now that I think about it. They don't have any of their own character arcs. And so... I would say it's a rather new thing that happened in the West of people being like, we shouldn't have Manic Pixie Dream Girls. So it doesn't really surprise me in that case that Japan really still loves it. But another note I was thinking as to why potentially they like it is Kari's personality isn't quote unquote common per se in Japan, as in the yeah. sense of, mm. you know, what they expect of women. 
They expect women to be demure. They expect women to be polite. Oh, the Narashiko. We've talked about this, you know, the Narashiko character. And that's sort of what they expect. And so the sort of loud, rambunctious who, girl who knows what she wants and she's going to lead guys to it, it's sort of a fantasy for them in a way that's beyond the scope of their culture. In the same way that, you know, we unfortunately exoticize certain cultures here in the U.S., but I would say in Japan, it's more like they're exoticizing a type of personality. And I had this talk before with my roommate who is Japanese American, where she said that, you know, she, she said that she, a lot of her personality kind of fits what you would expect a girl student to react in school, but she's so introverted and doesn't care to talk to people that she would be an outcast. And I would be sort of like the character from an unrealistic story because I am too loud. I am too friendly and I'm too happy to you know, interact with other ostracized kids. And so and so she's like, you know, you would be seen as kind of a character and I would be seen as sort of the outlier if we were to ever to go to Japan and have grown up there, but with all our same personalities intact. So I kind of feel like Kari and like other characters like her, it's sort of this fascination of a what if, you know, what if these type of personalities are Mm -hmm. everywhere in Japan, but at the same time, they kind of don't want them. It's very odd. So yeah. (laughs) But okay, I get what you're thinking. I The second you start talking about her, where you started to dive into more why you didn't ship them anymore, I was like, ah, I think Isabel has trouble with her being a manic pixie dream girl. So, <laughs> Yeah. And you didn't like any of the other ships in the anime as well, right? So you were basically like no ships in that anime in particular. Yeah, it ended up being no ships for me. Um, I tried to look for another ship because, you know, that's fun. Always fun to ship characters, but yeah, I just really didn't end up shipping them as much. What do you guys think about the second character or other characters in the in the show? I didn't care about them. I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> okay. I stopped watching Your Lie in April, so I never really finished it. But I got spoiled by the ending because you know things go around the internet at the time. You can't avoid spoilers for too long, and at some point, I was like. Oh, that's so disappointing. That's boring. And I didn't really care about the ships either. Oh, really? I like the way it ended. I think actually making Kauri die was a good move because I've seen too much of, oh, they were dying, so they say their goodbyes. But, oh, no, they were in a coma. They magically wake up, you know, or something like that. So actually making her die, I thought, was pretty bold. But I don't know. I think the whole thing about Kauri having a terminal disease was incredibly cliche and stereotypical to me. That I'm like, okay, she's either going to live or die. There's no in-between. And both endings are boring. Wow. Because the thing is, no, because all Japanese media always has one person that's about to die. And I'm kind of sick and bored of that trope, to be honest. Especially, like, in a romance story. I mean, a lot of Asian stories are K-dramas, too. You know, somebody gets into an accident. You know, somebody has a coma. You know, those types of things I'm very bored with. And I'm like, I don't... Someone gets amnesia. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm like, I don't understand the point of having a character die to promote character growth. You can have character growth without somebody dying, you know? Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying about that. And then I think Kosei's childhood friend, the one that had a crush on him for so long, it was such a shafted move to put Kosei with somebody who would quote-unquote support him, but I'm like, there's no real chemistry between them. They don't have that much screen time anyway. It's interesting because I remember being... I remember just being involved with the main ship when I was watching this, and... My roommate, not my current roommate, one of my roommates in college, she watched it several years after me. 
and she's in the same boat as you, Isabel, is that when she watched it, she didn't ship any of them because she was like, he's not ready. You know, he's too young. They're all too young. They're not ready. And I see that now objectively, but it's weird because at the time when I watched it, I was still kind of young. And so, I mean, I'm not old right now, but I was still kind of young. And so I think that romanticism part did get to me back then. But, uh, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. How old were you when you watched uh, Your Line April, Isabel? <laughs> I was watching it as it came out. So that was probably in college, right? I think. Okay. You know. You're more mature than me. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I felt the same way. So you could definitely romanticize it if you were watching it. I feel like if you were definitely on the younger spectrum or like, because they're supposed to be like 14-year-olds or teenagers. So if you were watching it um, at that age, I feel that you would probably enjoy it a lot more or be more invested in it than probably if you were older watching it objectively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I just looked at the uh, the anime television. It was running from 14 to 15, so I was definitely in high school. Wait, no, I was not in high school. Oh my god, I was a college student. Ah! Okay. Yeah, I was in high school during that time. You were should have been in college. Yes, I was in college, but I still haven't gone through my evolution. I haven't gone through my run with the wind evolution yet. So. <laughs> run with the wind changes everything. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. So that's your first pick. Uh, what do you have for your second pick then? Uh, my second pick, I want to talk about Chihiro Furu. Oh, um, no. Oh, oh no. You, you, you poach one of my. I have oh, a feeling no. you poach one of my. Go oh, on, go on, go on. Goodbye. <laughs> I tried really hard to not poach, but maybe I did. Oopsie. Okay. Well, we can talk about it together. This is great. I want to know what ship you're on. But anyway, I keep jumping between Wataya and Chihaya and then. Um, I forgot his other name already. Taichi. Oh, <laughs> yes, Taichi and Chihaya. Um, so at first I was on the Taichi and Chihaya boat, like the first few episodes, and then, or and then I, and then I think when we learned about the childhood story, I thought more, okay, maybe I want to be on the Wataya and Chihaya boat, um, just because I thought they were more suited for each other. Like you know, they really love Karuta, and. The fact that they're both talented, I thought they would be kind of like a perfect couple for each other. Um, but then as the series goes on, because I see so much of Taichi, I'm like infatuated with the fact that I want Taichi to be with Chiaya. So that's the boat I'm on now. Um, I know the anime hasn't finished, but that's, that's like kind of me kind of kind of flip-flopping. But I'm hoping I, I probably won't jump off this ship now. <laughs> we are <laughs> on opposite ends of the spectrum, no. Isabel! Oh, no. <laughs> Fight, 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 fight. <laughs> okay, well, tell me your story and then I will tell mine. So the when you know, when you start off you you think um they're all nice uh friends and stuff like that, learning how to play Karuta and um I think kind of like as they moved on throughout the series and then how Taichi I guess it's kind of like the effect of having that person next to you the whole time and you see them more or you know the character gets way more screen time that I just started liking that more and then just seeing how he thinks of uh, Chihaya a lot um, overall kind of got to me so I think it's more of a character that I like than maybe the ship overall but oh no (laughs) the characters make a difference in the ship I'll tell you that if they're if they are learning things and they're doing things differently I think it's worth it. I think we can forgive Taichi for things that he did in the past. Yes. Anyway. 
I don't remember that, story, honestly. But yeah. Is that your stake in the ship as our like we're all different ships right now? <laughs> I think so, yes. I want I do want to hear yours though. Okay, so I started off really, really, really intensely shipping Taichi and Chihaya, but I have since Popped off that boat, and I think Anata and, Ch- and Chihaya are better suited to each other. My main reason for that is actually because I think that Chihaya takes advantage of Tai Chi, not on purpose, by the way. I, do- I don't mean it in a way that's like she's purposefully gaslighting him or manipulating him or anything like that. No, t- uh, Chihaya is not that type of person, but. She is very oblivious to him and the stuff that he is willing to do for her and how much he uh, and how much he loves her. And it really hurt me because I saw how imbalanced the relationship is. And the thing is, I think if this was teenager, me, like if I had somehow stayed a teenager from season one all the way through season three, I think I would still very much be on the Tai Chi and Chihaya ship. But as an adult, when season three started again, I, you know, season three started again. I was an adult and when I was watching it and seeing how the relationships between Chihaya and Taichi hadn't changed, I realized that the only reason why I shipped the two is because I just love Taichi so much. I want him to have everything. And that includes the girl because he loves the girl. But when it comes to the actual relationship itself, I took a step back and I was like, you know what? This relationship is really unfair because he's doing all these things for her and she doesn't even really notice it. And the second that Arata is around, she runs off. She just leaves him behind in the dust because she's constantly chasing after Arata and sort of like what he symbolizes as a Karuta player. She doesn't turn back to see like how Taichi's feeling or where he stands on the matter. And especially in season three, um, Taichi was trying really, really hard to get better at Karuta. He sort of realizes that he doesn't possess any sort of prodigal skills like Chihaya does. And he certainly wasn't trained with like a legacy to uphold at a young age like Arata was. So he's sort of like the odd one out of the trio in regards to his relationship with it. And he wants to fall in love with the game and he wants to pursue it competitively in a way that's like on the same level as the other two and he constantly struggles in it and it made him kind of depressed in season three but the thing that kills me about it is that Chihaya didn't notice that he was feeling depressed until the very end when his grades dropped because where like there's an actual like tangible manifestation of where you see that something has gone wrong that was the only time she finally noticed that something was off about him and then he quit the uh the karata club because his mom had like a rule in place he has like a really strict mom think of it as like the stereotypical asian mom that's always hovering over you and wants you to get straight a's and only straight a's so when he lost his number one spot in his class his mom was like, you know, you got it. You got to quit because that was the that was the whole uh, agreement for you playing in the Karate Club. And he also did it willingly. And when Chihaya went after him to beg him not to not to quit. And this was after he had already confessed to her and she had essentially rejected him on top of everything else. And he just turns towards her and he goes, Chihaya, I'm not made of stone. Like, do you think 
Do you think I'm unbreakable? And that really broke my heart for him because it is true. He has put up so much and he has gone through so much for her and trying to deal with his own self-esteem by himself. And she didn't even notice. Like, she just sees him as a buddy to play Karta with. And then the second Arata turns around the corner, she's running off after that guy without even bothering to look how he's feeling. And that's why I have since jumped off of the ship because I was like, this isn't healthy for him. This isn't a balanced relationship. And if anything, Arata and Chihaya are more balanced together because she's always looking at him and Arata's always looking at her as well. There's this equalness going on between them, but Taichi's not getting it. And... It's um, and then once again, I realized the only reason why I really shipped them back when I was younger, when Chihaya Futter was coming out was because I just loved Taichi so much that I just wanted him to have everything, which included the girl. But the relationship as a whole, I was like, I can't do this anymore. I can't support it anymore. And thus, I am leaving the ship. I salute you. Goodbye. And I dived right off the board. So, <laughs> so yeah, that's why I'm on the other ship. Got it. Okay. Agnes, make a judgment. You're the judge. Yeah. <laughs> Agnes, please. I have I barely watched three episodes of <laughs> Chihaya Furu. Like I can't make a judgment call here. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted you, Isabel. What were you gonna say? <laughs> no, I didn't no, go ahead. Sorry, Agnes. No, that's it. I have my brain is empty. I have zero thoughts on the matter because I've never watched the show past the three episode mark, so is there a reason why you might have dropped or you didn't have time to complete it? I know she, she uh, I think it's both. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a combination of I tried to watch it after reading Gracie's article because I finally got around to watching Chihaya Furu. Mm-hmm. But it was also during a season where I was watching other things and it was COVID. So at one point, I kind of dropped off the three episode mark and got derailed with watching other things or just, you know, staying at home, playing games and whatnot. So my attention span didn't last for very long. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And I think the other thing is that I've kind of at one point dropped off watching high school rom-com type of stories too, as an adult watching this pretty late. So at one point I was like, oh, okay, this is just one of those things that I kind of don't want to watch it at this moment. Maybe I'll revisit it later though. Which is interesting because Chihaya Furu is a Jose. Like it's published in a Jose magazine. Yeah, that's the thing. But then they're also in high school and I'm like, I, I, high school. <laughs> <laughs> I love Jose. Like, I said it before in our first episode of this podcast. I love Jose. There's not enough Jose to go around. But they're also in high school. And I'm like, God, help me. I don't want to revisit high school. I don't want to see high schoolers. You sound like those witches in, um, oh, what was it called? Hocus Pocus, when they were like, what is this place? It smells like children. It must be a prison for school. <laughs> and like, it's like, <laughs> it smells like children. <laughs> That's what it makes me think of whenever you're like, oh, high school. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, gosh. For context, I didn't have a bad high school career. I just wish not to revisit that cringe period. That's all. <laughs> uh, well, I guess uh, I-, I got a question for you, Isabel. Uh, so you went from Arata to Tai Chi instead. And you said it was mainly because of the characters. Is it because you like Tai Chi as a character? Is that it? <laughs> Yeah, I agree. So, like, when you said that, you, you know, you liked Tai Chi as a character as well, and then, and then you, you know, moved on from that, I think I'm still stuck in that boat where uh, I still like his character development, just seeing him. I do agree he is struggling, and Chihaya, Chihaya should look at him more, 
but yeah, otherwise I'm still rooting for those two. I'm hoping Chihaya can do something. <laughs> I guess that's what I'm hoping for. And then the other reason is because I also kind of ship um, Shinobu, who is like the Snow Queen. Oh, and, yeah. And Arata. Yeah, I think they're yeah. kind of perfect for each other, although they're a little bit too similar. So I don't know how that relationship would work out because they don't have they don't have too many interactions with each other. But I feel like they they give me the same vibe, kind of like um, they were like super into Karuta and then they're kind of cold, but then they have their own little quirks or especially Shinobu does. And I feel that Arata would be accepting of that or even tag along with her, really, and um, kind of participate in that. So I personally would just like to see that. I don't know if it'll happen, but I'm hoping it may it may be, or I can see more scenes between the two, really. <laughs> yeah, I would say a Shinobu, Arata, and Chihaya love triangle is much, much harder to pick for me because I'm like, I see how they both work for sure. And it doesn't help that Shinobu is in many ways actually quite similar to Chihaya as well, just like an introverted version. But they yeah. have this they have similar hobbies. They're both very obsessed with certain things. And the way they go about things is very similar. It's just one's a lot more social and like extroverted and the other one's a, mo- a lot more loner asking introverted. But that's really the only difference that's like sort of separating the two of them so i think when you put it that way yeah it that's difficult and i definitely would not mind shinobu and arata but i just can't do tai chi and chihai anymore because i just feel like it's too unfair for him so yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay all right well thank you for sharing those two ships uh we say farewell as they you know sink or sail away who knows (laughs) oh i guess one of them is for sure sunk because one of them died but anyway moving on agnes it is now your turn so i know that you don't usually engage in too much shipping and you know the ones that you do ship are sort of like canonized very very early on so where you can tell that they're going to be end game so i'm really curious you know uh what are two ships that you have abandoned in the process of being an otaku uh so i'll start with the most obvious one that stems mostly from my childhood okay because i was a very impressionable teen at the time so romance was still you know something that was on my mind at the time and that would be the Gadgil and Le- uh, Levy ship from Fairy Tale. Oh, it's okay, an extraordinarily okay. popular ship. We all we all are pretty aware of what happens in Fairy Tale. And at the time, you know, I was following a lot of artists on Tumblr who were posting a lot of art for this couple, and just trying to find like so many different scenes that were involved with them. Watching people put together AMVs, you know, it's one of those things. Yes, that you're obsessed yes, with I the completely ship, right? understand. Yes, <laughs> but I think as I grew older and I went into college, I stopped for a second and went, "Wait a second. Gadjo literally beats up Levi in a torture scene at the beginning of Fairy Tale, and he's their mortal enemy." And then now they're together and they have children. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, I, I can't tell if this is Stockholm Syndrome or this is just some connived writing from the, the mangaka himself. You know what's funny is that every once because it is a very popular ship. So every once in a while, I see a comment who was like, hey, on a minute. Like, did it? Yeah, exactly. So it's like, you know, you get older, you start seeing these things. You're like um you know there's a bit of a problem with that and you kind of wish that you never interacted with that couple before but here we are spilling our sins out into the world so there is my sin to bear was that i used to ship gadget and levy pretty obsessively at one point i was saving a lot of fan art of them and then over the years i kind of tapered off of that ship and then 
ultimately I jumped off that ship just because I was very uncomfortable with their origin story at the beginning. If the mangaka wants to rewrite the story where like Gyaju didn't actually beat up Levy but kind of put her up as like uh I guess a show of might kind but like not like fully abusing her that it took her weeks and months to recover then maybe but even that is is stretching the line a bit too thin i have a question for you real quick because i i know why gajil levy is very popular so gajil levy is a pretty good example of the enemies to lovers trope and that is an extremely extremely popular ship sort of dynamic so do you like the enemies to lovers trope I know you love the enemies to lovers trope. So, <laughs> um, I will say that the enemies and lovers trope is debatable because people love the idea more that they are equals in the sense in an enemies to lovers trope and that they, they can beat each other up, but they have to be kind of on the same footing to spark that chemistry and that romance of antagonism mm. but when it's one person like Le- uh, J- Gadget who is literally so much stronger than Levi and actually and torturing her and then hanging her up in a tree that yeah that that kind of breaks the illusion of the enemies to lovers trope okay I see what you're saying because there are so many enemies to lovers tropes that exist in other pieces of media and in anime that work out really well um, and people end up shipping them all together because they kind of come to a mutual agreement. Like, oh yeah, you know, like, you're also strong. I acknowledge you. And we're trying to fight for like similar goals or whatnot and, you know, topple the monarchy or whatever. So at that point, you're like, okay, it's not too bad. Got it. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Cause I, I think that is ultimately why Gajil and Levy was so popular. There is something enticing about the fact when two characters who did not get along at the beginning, eventually fall in love even though i've talked to shauna about this shauna once asked me like are there is like does real life have an enemies to lovers like situation i'm like no i don't think so like you're more no not for the most part people are really good about being antagonistic to each other and holding grudges so it's very it's it's very rare to see somebody like overcome their differences and see past it and become lovers type of thing Yes, exactly. And it's like, I'm like, it's actually the reverse. That's more common. You'll see like lovers become enemies <laughs> because yeah. of bad and breakups. Then, like, yeah. The only time that I think the enemies and lovers trope does ring true is when it's in a battlefield war situation where it's like two people of opposite sides are fighting for whatever country that they have, but they realize that that both of their countries are equally screwed over mm. and that they're an absolute menace to society. And so they find comfort in each other, knowing that the world is kind of shit, but at least they have each other kind of thing. I see what you're saying. And that also still goes back to what you're saying about how the, the enemies to lovers trope, like it's debatable because the one that you're okay with is they're on the same level. They have respect for each other. And it's clear that Gajil and Levy didn't have that at the very beginning. Yeah. Yeah. The o- I feel like what with the writing that goes with fairy tale and we, and we've talked about it before. Like Alexis and I have sat down. We're like, God, why did we even watch fairy tale? Like, what is this? <laughs> um, but the fact that, you know, Gajil is so strong. He's on, he has the same power level as Natsu, our main character, right? So he already, he's overloaded with so much power. And Levy's just here kind of giving him bits of iron for him to munch on. And now she's his waifu. Like, okay, sure. I will say, though, my biggest ship was actually Jalal and Ezra. So I'm not... Jalal and Ezra is weird because 
it, I don't know. It's it's very odd. <laughs> it's odd how the events of the manga and the anime panned out to support that ship. And I'm like, I don't know if I actually ship it or not. Like, I shipped it early. Like, the whole subplot of uh, Ezra finding Jalal alive on the island, but he's corrupted and she still loves him. Yeah, yeah But then yeah. everything moving forward is kind of a clusterfuck. <laughs> muddling things and it's like at that point you're like okay we've established the dynamic now so there's no point in trying to interrupt but they then kept interrupting it and yeah it's it's a whole thing so yeah and then Jalal kind of dips his hands in way too many uh plots in like you know trying to avert crises or whatever and I'm like dude chill <laughs> chill you're, you're gonna make this a bit too complicated for fairy tale Oh man, yeah. So I, yeah, but I get where you're coming from, and I think it's funny because I do see it even, even amongst people who to, who still ship them. They're they kind of like they're kind of like we don't talk about that. It's like the uh, the Encanto song of like we don't talk about Bruno. Yeah, it's like exactly we don't talk it. about that <laughs> scene. <laughs> that's exactly it. And so I was like, wait, didn't he like beat her up and torture? Shh, you know, we don't. That didn't <laughs> It's the forbidden scene. It's the forbidden scene, yeah. All right, so that's your first one. So what do you have for your second one then? My second one is a lot more tame. And it's from Dororo Hedero of Nikaido and Kaiman. And I wanted to point out this too because at the beginning, it feels like there is a romantic, a, a potential chemistry between the two of them. So uh, did any of you guys watch Doro Hedero? No, I did not. What about I, you? I didn't, so. Okay. No. Okay. So mm-hmm. the plot of Doro Hedero is that there are, there is a basic society that is split into two. You have normal humans that live in like a subterranean world. And then above them live the magic users or the magicians that have these extraordinary powers and that they kind of reign over the humans that live below. And the beginning of Dororo Hedero starts out with uh, Nikaido, who is secretly a magic user that you learn later on in the story, who had immigrated to the human world and stayed hidden. And then Kaiman, who is a lizard head man or person who has been living in the human world for a very long time, but he suffers from amnesia and doesn't know why he has like this lizard face. Like he knows he was human before, but he has this lizard face. And over the years of Nikaido and Kaiman living on the human realm, they forge a very deep friendship over gyoza. Nikaido is kind of like a master at Chinese flash cooking. So she makes like a lot of dumplings, she makes a lot of fried rice, and she once fed Kaiman, who was on the brink of starvation in the human world, and he was absolutely enamored with her gyoza making. And so every day he stops by her shop and freeloads to eat gyoza, and they form a really intimate friendship, and they are both really good fighters. So in the human realm, they often have these extermination... I guess, like, events where they have to clean up any of the remnants of messes that magicians make up in the sky that fall down onto Earth. And so they bond over the fact that they are really good fighters and that they work together on these extermination events and that they watch each other's backs. And when I was originally reading Doro Hedro and also watching the CGI anime, I thought to myself, like, wow, these two could be really good as a romantic chemistry subplot. Mm-hmm. And it even goes that so far, I think, in both the anime and in the manga, although the anime hasn't caught up to the entirety of the manga yet, but there was a scene where Nikaido had kind of 
become submitted to another man's will through the usage of magic, and it's kind of up to Kaimin to save her. And so when I was watching that, I was thinking to myself, oh, this is a very stereotypical romance plot that's set up, you know? Mm-hmm. Some one of them is in trouble, the other one has to go save them along with all of their allies kind of stuff, right? But then as I continued to watch the anime and read through the manga, I felt like they served a much better purpose as a platonic pairing as like really really good like bro tp kind of relationship because they are so open and vulnerable to each other's feelings and talking about it and supporting each other that i felt that they didn't suit each other romantically but as friends who are always like watching each other's backs they do spectacularly add so by the time i finished the manga i was like okay I think I'm off the romance ship and I'm more in support of their platonic ship because they're so much better as a platonic ship than a romantic ship. Like, I can't imagine Nikaido just being, like, a housewife trying to cook gyoza for uh, Kaimen to eat, like, every day. Like, that's a very, like, romantic subplot right there, right? I can't imagine that from the two of them at all. But they don't have to be in that kind of relationship, I guess. Like, you know, romantically, like, she doesn't have to be the housewife figure that unfortunately anime does like to regale, you know, certain female characters or a lot of female characters too. Right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, like, I meant to say that in like a very typical like Japanese romance plot. Oh, because there's actually okay. a there's actually even a better romance couple in Dodo Hedero that I'm just like the chemistry is there, their past is there, and they have so many interactions that you could totally see it as romantic because one of them does have feelings for the other one versus with Kaiman and Ikaido they're just like really good bros okay I see I see like you you can see their compatibility and it looked like it was setting up to be romantic but ultimately that spark is what's missing that you know you're talking about the chemistry the other couple had is that correct right yeah the other couple in Dororo Hetero one of them actually blushes a lot within the presence of the other character and they have a really deep and intricate past to each other. And the romantic subplot between them is when you are a magician, you have often a partner with you that is kind of like a an act of grace that is granted by this higher devil being, which is kind of like their version of a god in the magician's world. And that devil literally takes magic and binds your souls together. And so that couple have like a soul binding like contract to be partners with. And every, I think, what was it? Every blue moon in the society, they're allowed to either renew their contract or change partners. And those two have never renew have never changed partners they've always renewed their contract like without a doubt and so then i was like okay that is definitely very romantic compared to like kaiman and ikaido who are just like yeah we just hang out because we're really good bros and we support each other got it oh. and then new kaiman i guess can't be kind of like bound as a contract to nikaido like could that could that have happened that was all, the or? romantic subplot that they tried to set up where mm-hmm. uh kaiman tries to save nikaido because nikaido when her identity was revealed as a magician, she was supposed to be soul bound to another magician, Enma, who is the like the overlord of the magicians. He's like super powerful, and he wanted Nikaido for a long time, and so he tried to bind her soul to him through like the demon ritual. And then Kai- Kaiman has to basically oh, go save Nikaido. Nice. Oh, okay, I see. Yeah. So it has that romantic subplot, but I was like, nah, I'm I'm good with them being platonic. I think they're really good as friends altogether. Yeah, that sounds great. 
Alrighty then. Well, that just leaves me in that case. Um, well, I only have one ship to talk about, but I I can add more if we need time for it because we did spend a good enough time discussing both of our separate uh, separate parts uh, with Isabel in regards to Hayafuru. So, anywho, one of my ships, a big moment where I jumped off of, which is actually rare as well. I'm with you, Isabel. Actually, I would say I'm with both of you too. The anime I tend to, the couples that I tend to ship usually are in-game or... Uh, I'm kind of cursed because what I tend to find myself uh, boarding is I'll board a ship that is absolutely canon and it's sailing and then one of them or both of them dies. And so I have like a, oh. a I have like a graveyard of ships, not because they broke up or the girl or the guy chose another person. No, it's literally because they got together and they died. So, or one of them died. But that being said, the ones that don't, don't have any death involved rarely sinks like they always end up sailing at the end and so it's rare for me to jump off because I tend to kind of latch on to whichever the author's motivation is and I can tell usually like oh they want these two to be end game but uh the one that I want to talk about today is Yukihira and Megumi from Food Wars oh okay yeah I used to ship those two a lot, actually. I uh, I was kind of almost, like, angry at the aspect that Erina even had a say in, the, sh in like, the ship. Like, I felt like there shouldn't have even been a ship war. Like, it should have just been Megumi and Yukihira. I have since very, very changed my mind. And the reason for that is, once again, has to do with that compatibility, that chemistry that I was talking about. Because... Megumi and Yukihira work very well together and she's obviously very kind and she's very caring and she has a lot of guts to her even though she comes off looking very timid and Yukihira sort of like helped light the flame inside her for that and one, obviously one of people's favorite scenes in Food Wars was when she got expelled by, uh, by Shinomiya and she, not Kaguya Shinomiya, <laughs> Food Wars Shinomiya, uh, but when she got expelled by Shinomiya and Yukihira literally decided to start a food war uh, with, uh, with the chef, like the teacher, to, to ensure that she gets to retain her place in the school because he thinks that the way she was expelled was very unfair. And that came off really romantic and it just seemed like they had a lot going on together and of course Megumi had a crush on him so I was totally on board of that ship and once again I did not ship Yukihira with Erina because the main reason is I could not stand Erina at the time she was so haughty and arrogant and she had this thing about being right no matter what that that's like a pet peeve of mine that just instantly makes me like dislike you to the nth degree is if you have that sort of haughtiness where you feel like you are right and there's nothing else to say but that being said as the show continued I actually jumped off the Megumi and Yukihira ship and I went on board the Erina and Yukihira ship and the big reason for that is I realized Erina is the only one who motivates Yukihira Yukihira throughout the show, he's almost like a manic pixie guy, except he's the protagonist, so he does have his own arc. But his sort of gutsiness and his more unique view and perspective on cooking, because he didn't grow up in these fancy families whose entire families are dedicated to cooking in the industry, 
um, he was a very inspiration. He is very inspirational to the law of classmates around him who get very competitive with him because of that fact, while he's just sort of doing his own thing. Erina is the only one that actually challenges him and makes him feel motivated and that he could do more because she is, without a doubt, a better chef than him. And that was really, really enlightening for him. Like, he wants to be up to her part, per se. While at the same time, he brings something to the table to her as well. Because we later learn, and she goes through an, an amazing character development. I want to add that. Like, I, I liked her at the end. Her character development was great. And we learned that her haughtiness and her, like, belief that what she says is right and there's only, like, one right way of cooking largely has to do with the fact that she was abused growing up and her dad essentially forced her to be like, there is only one right way to cook because as a child, when he makes her tests between like two different dishes, she'll be like, okay, this one's better, but you know, this was not bad. There's things that can be improved, but you know, it's not perfect per se. And he would force her to like throw away and waste the food and basically tell her like anything that's not perfect goes in the trash, which quickly molded her mindset of only perfection is the right way to cook. There's only one right way to get that perfection. So Yukihira, being as unconventional as he is, really throws, you know, a dagger into the glass ceiling of her mindset in that case. And it forces her to also grow as a person and grow as a chef as well. And so because of that, after we saw her development, I absolutely saw their compatibility. And I was like, you know what, like with Megumi, Megumi is the Narashiko girl. She is really nice and sweet and caring. Yes, she has some grit inside her as well, but it's largely Yukihira who is sort of motivating her per se, and she's just nice to him. And he appreciates her without question. He really cares about their relationship. But there isn't really that spark going on. He's not like, he's not motivated. He's not inspired around her. But with Erina, he is very motivated and inspired. And there's just so much more chemistry between the two after Arianna's character development where I was like, yes, like these two clearly are made for each other to work together and to really excel as individuals and as chefs. And so that's the main reason why I had hopped off of the Megumi and Yukihira ship and I went on the Arianna and Yukihira ship instead. So I'm kind of curious because I do know you two have seen Food Wars even if it's not the whole thing. So did you guys have a ship at all? Was that like in your peripheral at any point in time? Or was it just me who was thinking about shipping people in Food Wars? <laughs> yeah, I think in Food Wars, they definitely try to ship people together. I think I had the same ideas as you. I liked uh, Megumi and you can hear as the other at first. But the fact that, you know, he's kind of like a manic pitsy dream boy. You know, he's the one who inspires her to do better things and... Uh, and it's great, you know, she has her own character development as well, and she's able to improve her abilities as a chef. Um, but, you know, ultimately, he just kind of sees her as kind of like a partner or a, t a team member, really, and a friend, and nothing else too much beyond that. I can see it working out, but it's also like, like you said, there's no challenge for him. Obviously, he can do a lot better. And I was, yeah, at first, I didn't like Irina that much, but he, I feel that she is the only one that would be able to kind of compete with him, mm -hmm. challenge him, and then in response also him just challenging her because I think when they first interacted, they kind of hated each other. Like, <laughs> they hated each other's guts. Um, yeah. <laughs> they just rub each other the wrong way, so. But yeah, seeing that kind of like 
it's kind of like, I don't know, it's the enemies to lovers type friendship too, I feel like, or relationship is what I got out of them. Um, so just seeing their interactions throughout the show was nice. Uh, I kind of, the first part where Arena started liking him and like blushing and stuff, I was like, oh, come on. Um, but yeah, in the end, I started liking that too. I, I didn't finish the show, obviously, because I think I went up to like season three or four. And then after that, I was like, okay, I'm good. Um, I also went but... up to that as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. But yeah, I can. T- I pretty much agree with what you had there. Um, pretty much the same thoughts otherwise. Uh, but yeah, what about you, Agnes? Mm-hmm. I didn't really watch much of Food Wars. I was really turned off by the... Uh... The, the etchy scenes of the, <laughs> the first <laughs> The foodgasms. So I like hard stuff. And I think for somebody who does take food a little bit too seriously as a pleb, I've kind of found like some of the designs of the characters to be a bit outlandish. Like a chef who fights in a bikini. Not fights, sorry. A chef who cooks with a bikini. I'm like, are you not afraid of like oil splatters? <laughs> and like, you know, if you're working with raw meat because she loves raw meat, aren't you worried about like not cleaning yourself and like, getting pesticides and germs on you like there's a reason why the white coat exists right hey at so least arena I, I wears the chef's outfit though yeah exactly <laughs> arena's like arena's like boss who looks great in a in a in a chef's um like coat and i was like chef's kiss this is great <laughs> but it's mainly i didn't really jump on any of the ships but i remember when i first started watching food wars and megumi was the first like female love interest to pop up i thought to myself immediately things are not going to fly well with Megumi. Like, she is not going to get the ship that she wants. Because she has that air of, like, the typical, like, Nadeshko, and she's following after, uh, was it Yukita? Mm, Yeah. Who has the the manic pixie boy um, persona around him as the main character. And I said, if this is a show that aired in the early 2000s, like how Bleach did, then maybe Megumin would have had a better chance. But considering that it was aired, like, slightly in like the mid 2000s like i don't know uh 2013 or something like people's perception changed and they want to see a better character that is suited for uh yukihira and then when i saw the screen caps of arena popping up and social media going crazy i'm like yeah okay that's the ship that is going to happen like i can totally see it even from the character design itself wow. i don't need to watch the anime scenes to know like okay this is the character that he's gonna gun for that is crazy awesome that you were able to just be like oh no this wasn't work oh this is the one that's going to work <laughs> i mean arena it exudes the energy of the bad who's also sundere <laughs> like there there you can't deny that from the character design already i think it becomes even more obvious so one thing is i didn't watch the final season but i did see clips on youtube of yuki here's past so we finally get to see uh yuki here's mom and yuki here's mom is very much tomboy like she like her hair like she her hair is pretty messy and she she really likes to joke around in fact you can hear her personality wise takes after his mom more than he does his dad his mom is the one who really likes to experiment with things and like try to just say oh what happens if you put this and this together does it taste well and stuff and so i think that sort of like strength is just running in the family and I was and after that I was like, oh yeah, Yuki here is gonna he's gonna like the strong girls, you know? So <laughs> uh, but that is so impressive, Agnes, that you were able to uh just see pictures and be like, oh yeah, that's not the one, that's the one. <laughs> I'm so impressed. I mean, you you can see it from the characters. I don't think it's 
I mean, I, I accept the compliment, but at the same time, it's like, it's not that hard to see it. Like, Megumin has, like, demure Japanese girl energy with, like, the, the black braids, the thick glasses. Yeah. And she kind of has, like, that very timid posture with the way that she's drawn. And then Irina's, like, vavoom in, <laughs> in a chef's coat. <laughs> she has a big chest, right? But yes, it's she like, does. it's hidden by the chef's coat. And then she stands, like, very proud. She has a very defiant look in her eyes that, like, De- that defi- that screams like perfection, right? So you're just like, okay, yeah, that that looks like the girl for Yukihira. Oh man! Well, I'm gonna mention one last one since my one of them got poached ish, but I discussed it. But I just I feel the need to put it out there. So one of the big ships I have leapt and taken a deep dive off of is from Shugochara, and it is Ikudo and Oh Amu. God, <laughs> we don't talk about Shugochara. No. <laughs> and the reason is. It is wrong for a guy in high school to be paired with a girl who just entered middle school. That is it. End of story. So, <laughs> see, I told you. You know, it's there's be short. two things on this podcast that I'm most afraid of: is talking about Vampire Night and talking about Shugo Kara. Like this is bringing up a lot of childhood memories that I didn't want to revisit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, funnily enough, I like. As bad as we like to, you know, dunk on Vampire Night, the thing is, I still refuse to leave the ship of Yuki and Zero. <laughs> so it's like I of which ship? Uh, the ship of Yuki and Zero. I still will stand by Zero's side. Zero <laughs> is constantly cucked by the fact that Yuki still pines over her dead brother. <laughs> like we don't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, I see how this is going. <laughs> But with that being said, Shugochara, I am putting a firm stake in the fact that we cannot ship Ikuno and Amu because Amu had just entered sixth grade and he is in high school already. So no, 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 no. I had no idea why I thought that was okay. High school me, bad high school me. Or- I think it's the fact that when we were all watching Shugokara, we didn't think of them in high school or middle school respectively we thought they were all in the same grade yeah i think that was the misconception because at that point when we were watching anime like most people most of the characters are in high school so you think you kind of like your brain doesn't think twice and you're like oh you know they're all in the same grade like that's that's no problem and then when you start reading rereading the wiki and rereading the manga pages you're like there's a problem with this peach pit like why did you write something like this no there is a problem <laughs> so <laughs> no you're exactly right it's like age you don't really consider their ages i mean i forget how young they are even now like like you know like the way that amu dresses yeah she looks like with a short skirt mm-hmm. and all of the other characters wearing like this really cool pattern uniform they look like they're in high school like that's a very typical japanese high private high school look with the pattern skirt and pants like you see it in like kaito wa made some right yeah yeah but middle school i guess like you, uh, japanese uniforms vary across different schools and prefectures but akabi's akabi sailor uniform is like very typical like middle school look for oh, example yeah. so that mm-hmm. would be very different i would say like from shugo kara which clearly takes a lot of inspiration from a high school look but kind of shafts them into middle school for whatever reason i have no idea yeah like why didn't the author just write them as all in high school that would solve the problem really like (laughs) uh i think the other reason is because like the the whole like egg thing is 
highly unrealistic if you're in a high school setting. Oh. If I have to be completely honest, like, who's going to believe that you have three little fairies that go around you that say, what, like, uh, whipped cream and painting and shit, right? <laughs> like, who's going to believe that from a high schooler? I guess, but Ikuto has his cat little character, which was the best character, by the way. <laughs> Ikuto had his little cat character, you know? I don't know. I liked I liked Nadeshko's, uh, the rapper, the rapper spirit. I like that one. Oh, a lot. yes. Oh, wait. Actually, that was a cool character because they were, I, I have to say they because they kind of identified both as a girl and a guy and they and it changed throughout. Yeah, that was yeah, they're pretty much like non-binary. Yeah, I would yeah, say I think that, that was an interesting character, yes. <laughs> I really liked that, especially with like, because I think at that point when I was growing older, I thought to myself, wow, the Nadeshko character is so boring. And then they kindly some of come about saying like, oh, you know, I wanted a change of pace. Like I want to embrace something different. And their spirit like actually transforms into a completely different persona. And I was like, wow, that's really cool and unheard of because it seems like for all the other Shigo Kara characters, they all their spirits all stay like relatively the same, even though like Uta has two different spirits, right? But they're not they don't change at all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, the Nadashiko character was pretty cool. And also a pretty good twist because Nadashikos are usually girls and they're neither really a girl or a guy, they're just who they are. So I thought that was interesting. But Everything else, yep, especially yep. the ship, is a no-go. So <laughs> we will not be taking any questions at this time. We say it is not okay to ship a middle school girl in sixth grade with a 16-year-old guy in high school. End of the discussion. I thought he was 17. Oh, God. Oh, God. I think that's what it says in the wiki. Like, he's 17, 18, because Uta is around the same age as him, too. Ah, that's even worse! <laughs> I think Gracie's mic broke. Yeah, it says he's 17. Okay, um, <laughs> moving on. We don't talk about this anymore. Last time I'll mention it. So I hope everyone enjoyed us discussing the ships that we have leapt off of and um, understood our reasons why for doing that. Obviously, you do not have to leave a ship just because we want to, we have left a ship. But I thought it'd be a really interesting topic to hear our thoughts as to why, because we usually talk about which ships we like instead of specifically ships that we did like in the past and we didn't like in the future anymore. So with that being said, I hope everyone enjoyed this episode and I hope you'll be with us next time. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye.